My very first exposure to dinner parties in Iowa was on my sixth birthday. For as long as I can remember, it was a family tradition. Anything they wanted. It was like a death row inmate's last meal, but infinitely happier. My sister Sarah always chose filet. My sister Iman's choices were as inconsistent as mine, which included everything from chicken parmesan to veal. No matter what we chose as our main, mushroom cheese bread was always on the menu. Despite how it left your hands greasy from butter and planted poppy seeds in between every tooth, something about it felt elegant. Welcome to My Family Recipe, presented by Food52 and Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Arthi Menon. I'm also the lead editor of the original essay series on Food52. Thank you for joining us on this episode and on the podcast so far as we explore some much-loved heirloom recipes and the delicious stories behind them. Today, I'm sitting down for a chat with Khaled Al-Khatib, who has written about everything from culture, politics, his home state of Iowa, LGBTQ issues, and yes, food. Two years ago, he published a column in My Family Recipe called, I Live in the City Now, But Cheesy Bread Will Always Have My Small Town Heart. It's about the lasting power of his mother's Iowa dinner party staple. It's also a celebration of family gatherings and the simple pleasures of comfort food that's made to be shared. Khaled, it's such a pleasure to have you here. Welcome. Thank you for having me. So you've now lived in New York for 14 years. Of course, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's evident in your writing and your affectionate references that Iowa is very near and dear to your heart. In this essay, for instance, you paint a vivid picture of the competitive nature of potlucks in your hometown, playfully competitive, of course. Can you describe what these food-focused gatherings looked like and, of course, tasted like? Sure. Yeah. I, so I celebrated my 14-year anniversary in New York last month. So that's right. Uh, and still go back to Iowa every now and then, at least a couple of times a year. And uh, when I'm home, many of the staples that I grew up with are still prepared for me by my mother. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I think it, to, a, to a large extent, a lot of growing up in Iowa, people think about it sort of stereotypically as this very quintessential American experience. Uh, dishes that are sort of doused in butter, uh, heavy cream, mayonnaise, uh, a lot of corn, and um, they're mostly right. So uh, all the good a lot stuff. Of, <laughs> that's right. That's right. Uh, so pasta salads made with um, with Italian dressing and with mayonnaise. Uh, a dish called Oreo fluff that was a staple at every single picnic that I went to growing up. And then, uh, of course, a variation of cheesy potatoes. Uh, I think one thing that's pretty characteristic of everything that I grew up with is that uh, it was sort of casserole-esque. There was a can of of, uh, Campbell's cream of mushroom soup or cream of chicken (laughs) soup or cream of celery soup in almost every dish at at a dinner party. So the items that populated the potlucks of your childhood and family gatherings um, often came from the same source, church cookbooks that circulated through the region. And in your piece, you write about how you could expect this 
sort of similar cheesy hash browns and green bean salad uh, or succotash in, in some form or other from different households. Tell us about the significance of these widely loved and also very tactile recipes. Sure. Yeah, I think the thing about Iowa, and this is true of, of I think, small towns everywhere, is it's very community-based. Uh, oftentimes, the heart of the community will be the church, but it could be a PTA. Uh, it could be, uh, you know, a local school. Even my my grandfather on my maternal side was a mail carrier, mm-hmm. and there was a mail carrier association cookbook. And so I think what, what typically happened is that these recipes would be uh, adapted for various cookbooks that uh, then were circulated throughout the town. But a lot of the recipes sort of carried through at every event that you were at. And to some extent, certain people in the town or certain people in a friend group or my uh, my friend's parents, for example, became known for one recipe or one thing that they were really, really excellent at cooking. So when you'd go to a potluck or, or someone's home for dinner or a, a community gathering, was it sort of comforting for you to know what to expect? Or was there some eye rolling involved when the menu turned out to be pretty much what you expected. <laughs> there I, there was mostly comfort. I think every now and then <laughs> uh you would go you would go to someone's house or you would uh you would go to a family reunion or a wedding or or some big gathering and you would you would sort of uh cringe knowing for example that they made their pasta pasta salad with miracle whip. So it would have <laughs> olives and still be sweet. Something like that. You know, that was something that we dreaded as kids growing up. You wrote another article that was published in Food 52 in 2019 called Growing Up Muslim in Iowa Before Hamas, 9-11 and Christchurch. For listeners, this is linked in the episode's show notes below. You tell a story of how sharing Palestinian cuisine with your community in Dubuque set the stage for you to use food as a way to, yes, connect with your heritage, but also the folks around you. And this is something you carried forward throughout your life. How has food helped bridge your Midwestern and Arab heritage and cultures? Food has been such a powerful connector uh, in in my life across the Midwestern and and, uh, Middle Eastern heritage that I have. So my mother is from Iowa, was born in Wisconsin, but spent most of her life in Iowa. And my father is Palestinian. He migrated to the U.S. when he was about 30 years old and, and to Iowa shortly thereafter, where he met my mom and settled down. And uh, in the essay, one thing that I write about that's so interesting to reflect on 20, 25 years later is how difficult it was to make hummus at the time. Mm. We sort of take it for granted now because you can find it at any grocery store, almost anywhere in the country. But my family actually used to, uh, one, we got so many people enthusiastic about hummus when they came over to our house. (laughs) People didn't really know what it was. But we used to actually uh, make trips, car trips to Chicago to visit my dad's family and pick up tahini in bulk while we were there because it was so difficult to find in a town of in a town like Dubuque, even which was about fifty thousand people. And did you get requests to bring back tahini for neighbors, for other members of the community? Yeah, uh, absolutely. For neighbors, for uh, parents of of friends, for people uh, who my mom knew through the PTA. And a lot of that was really uh, catalyzed by the fact that we did these big community dinners. So we actually held a couple of big Middle Eastern dinners where a handful of Arabs in town got together and and did a massive sort of potluck, uh, hired Palestinian dancers and got members of the community to really experience a culture that many of them had never experienced before. Uh, even bring 
bringing that to uh, to the local school. So we did a sort of international day at school, mm. um, did little food tastings that accompanied every country, and then people were able to sort of showcase their heritage um, in a way that was really appealing to a lot of people. How lovely. And and did your um, parents have a lot to, to do by way of participating in some of these sort of international day events at school? Uh, for sure. You know, I, th- I think that, uh, you know, something that I so appreciate about my mom and try to carry with me always is that she is both incredibly empathetic and, and super curious um, and, and so inclusive. Uh, and so, like I said, my mom was born in a small town in Wisconsin, grew up in a town of Iowa, about 200 people. My father was no doubt the first uh, Arab Muslim that she met and, mm-hmm. and then married. And she she really embraced the Palestinian culture. She learned how to make hummus and baba ganoush and, uh, and also in makluba, which we had at least once a week because it was so easy to make. And, and, you know, she was really enthusiastic about getting other people to understand and be empathetic to a culture that, like I said, folks in Iowa hadn't really been exposed to. Let's talk about cheesy bread for a minute. Where did this mushroom cheese bread recipe originate? So the mushroom, the infamous mushroom cheese bread recipe uh, came from a church cookbook uh, from a suburb of outside of Chicago, from a Barrington cookbook where my aunt was based. She was pretty active in the church and uh, passed the recipe along to my mother. Do you have a favorite cheesy bread memory that you'd like to share? Oh man, it's it's tough. It's tough to pinpoint one memory because it's so associated to so many happy memories that I have. Uh, so so like I said, we did this thing called dinner in the dining room, uh, a very on the nose description for how we celebrated my and my siblings' birthdays every single year growing up. Uh, and mushroom cheese bread was always part of that. And I have a lot of happy memories around that. And now the, the time that I most typically go back to Iowa is around the holidays. So often celebrate Christmas with my mother and with my siblings. Uh, and we always have mushroom cheese bread when we're home for that. And we often make two loaves, uh, despite there only being four or five of us, uh, a little more now, given that my sisters are married, because uh, one, we love it so much, and yeah. two, because it's really excellent the next day. Oh, that's lovely. I, I, I love that because there's so many happy memories involved that it's hard for you to choose. That's, that's right. That's the best kind of family recipe. So in the essay, you draw a parallel between the hunger for novelty that your community here in New York and many of us have when it comes to eating and styling our food and entertaining and the more predictable menus of Iowa parties. Comparing these two worlds brings you to a beautiful realization, and I'm going to quote What went missing is the core of how I once approached dinner parties, to focus not just on how good something tastes, but on how good something has always tasted, to bring whomever I was feeding back home with me. We all have our favorite versions of your cheesy bread that rarely make their way to our shared tables anymore as adults. What have we lost along the way, or what do we run the risk of losing, Khaled? You know, I think there are lots of things, especially for someone who lives in New York or in a big city or, you know, uh, spends a lot of time working or dealing with family as one, it's become so convenient to pick something up. 
that didn't used to be the case. And there are lots of things about that that are great. Delivery has made so many different types of cuisine accessible to folks. It's allowed people to work really flexible schedules, which I love, but it's also made it really easy to order a super elaborate dish in advance or pick something up on the way to a dinner party. Whereas you used to have to go out of your way to sort of find a recipe, buy the ingredients, and then prepare the dish just before you arrived at someone's house. So I think that's one piece of it. And two is, is, is really, you know, the sort of Instagramification of uh, what's truly impressive. And so bringing like a, you know, a massive seafood tower to a dinner party or this immaculately plated spread of cheeses and, and meats, um, you know, might get more oohs and ahs than a, a, a piece of uh, or a loaf of mushroom cheese bread that's covered in grease and, and wrapped in tinfoil. But I think there's an argument to be made that there's something really powerful about bringing a dish of food that not only tastes incredible, um, but two, has really powerful memories that you associate with it and that you can sort of tell a story as people are consuming it. I couldn't agree with you more. Like I said, we all have our versions of your mushroom cheese bread. And I, I'd like to think that the pandemic, for instance, has made it ever more vital, for instance, for me at least, to stock up my pantry with familiar foods from back home because food can always transport you back home, especially when you can no longer travel. So I'd like to think that it also made us, in a way, rethink what dishes are not just worth eating, but also worth sharing and celebrating. I think that's right. I think what it also allows you an opportunity to really, you know, connect to old friends, uh, to family, and to reminisce about a recipe as you prepare it together, for example. Uh, or, you know, to, to call up your dad, like I did during the pandemic, and say, hey, what was that combination of spices that, that grandma always used when she made this dish, for example? So despite cheesy bread being a favorite of yours, you confess that you've only made it a handful of times while living in New York. And cheesy bread is, at its heart, a dish that demands to be shared and enjoyed as a group. It's, it's pure, buttery pleasure. Would you say that you've gained a new appreciation for the comfort foods of your childhood? It's a, it's a good question. I think the short answer is probably yes. I think as we get older, we get increasingly nostalgic, which I'm certainly uh, experiencing in light of the pandemic as well. Same. So I think there's that. And I think that also people are just really seeking out comfort food these days. Uh, I'll let you in on a secret. I've actually made your mother's cheesy bread recipe. Uh, I may have added I may have added one or two ingredients. Oh, thank you. What What did you add to it? So I added curry leaves, fresh curry leaves, and some green chili, of course. Ooh. I kind of made it like a tarka moment and then, yeah, let it splutter and then threw it on there. <laughs> I love that. I have to say, though, that I was missing the poppy seeds, so I didn't have any. I skipped that. I, I actually don't know. I've never made it without the poppy seeds, so I don't know what they add or take away from it. I feel like at this point, I'm just going to feel intensely deprived if I don't get poppy seeds stuck in my teeth, as you describe. Um, <laughs> so for the true and full experience, I'm going to get myself some poppy seeds and remake this because I honestly think there's never a bad time for anyone to make this recipe. I mean, it, I could eat it every single day. I fully agree. I mean, I also think that there's value in, in making it for a really elegant dinner party. I would, you know, I made it for a couple of glamorous friends this weekend for the <laughs> podcast and, and seeing them suck the poppy seeds out of their teeth and also just have their hands covered in butter um, was really satisfying. What did the glamorous friends have to 
say about it? Oh, they loved it. They loved it. They they know it too. And I think the last time they had it was New Year's Eve seven years ago, and they still remember it. I want to be invited to glamorous parties. I feel like it's been a while. <laughs> <laughs> they, to be clear, they were glamorous. My apartment, not so much. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? Give me some ultra buttery, extra cheesy mushroom bread with green chili and you know, that by itself makes any evening glamorous. Let me tell you this. Nothing like having butter sort of run down your fingers and sort of licking it up. Is that gross? No, I don't know. It's just the way I like to do it. (laughs) I think the listeners will appreciate that. Okay, so how about this weekend I tried with the poppy seeds and whenever you find yourself, you know, with some curry leaves, you try my version. It's New York, I can make it happen. (laughs) We're going to take a very short break, but when we're back, we're taking a trip to Khalid's home kitchen. Hi, I'm Dylan Hoyer, Heritage Radio Network's communications manager and a producer of this podcast. HRN is an independent, member-supported, non-profit podcast network. We have more than 35 weekly podcasts each exploring a different corner of the food world. If you're enjoying My Family Recipe, we have a few more culinary listens to add to your podcast diet. HRN's flagship show, Meat in 3, is a great place to get started. It features four segments each week, one deep dive and three shorts that will get you introduced to the stories we love to tell at HRN. There's also Speaking Broadly, an interview show highlighting brilliant, curious, game-changing women hosted by Dana Cowan, the former longtime editor-in-chief of Food & Wine. Or you might enjoy Cooking in Mexican from A to Z. The hosts are mother and son, but also award-winning celebrity chefs, restaurateurs, and cookbook authors. Aron Sanchez and Zarela Martinez take listeners on a culinary journey featuring regional ingredients that are the soul of Mexican cuisine. Listen to those podcasts wherever you're listening now, or visit heritageradionetwork.org to browse our library of 35 weekly shows and more than 15,000 archived episodes. Start exploring at heritageradionetwork.org. Welcome back to My Family Recipe. When Khalid moved to New York 14 years ago, he was working at Bloomingdale's and getting writing gigs on Craigslist. Today, he runs marketing and communications for a tech company and spends a lot of his free time writing about food, art, and culture for a variety of publications. Now, I'm excited to journey to his home kitchen, where he will take us through all the steps of recreating his mom's cheesy mushroom bread. Hello, coming to you from Brooklyn, New York. And I'm going to talk you through the ingredients, explain how to cut and prep the bread, which mostly involves dousing it in butter, and then get it into the oven and eat it while it's hot. Uh, Okay, let's get started. So the most important ingredient is the bread. You're going to need one loaf of French bread. It's not always super easy to find. So when I know I'm making the bread for a special occasion, I'll call the grocery store or a local bakery to order a loaf of French bread ahead of time. Baguette is great, but it's too thin and crusty for this dish, and uh, focaccia and other loaves are too big. You're going to need eight ounces of Swiss cheese slices, three-fourths a cup of butter, two tablespoons of minced onion, the kind you get in the spice aisle, uh, not uh, fresh onion, 
one tablespoon of poppy seeds, one teaspoon of seasoned salt, one tablespoon dry mustard, and one tablespoon of lemon juice. You'll also need four ounces of mushrooms. Uh, so this might be controversial, but I strongly suggest that you use canned mushrooms. Fresh is almost always better than canned, but not here. I don't know if it's the consistency of the canned mushrooms or if there's something about their mediocrity that allows the butter and cheese to really shine, but trust me, use canned mushrooms. Uh, to make this recipe, you're going to want a cutting board, a bread knife, some tin foil, and a small pan. Okay, let's go ahead and get started. So first things first, go ahead and preheat your oven to 350 degrees. Okay, so now we are going to make some slices in the bread. Almost to the bottom of the loaf, leave half an inch or so at the bottom. Each slice in the bread, which I'm just starting to do now, should be about uh, an inch apart and on the slant. Uh, and then you'll do this again, but on the opposite slant. So you're making little diamonds across the loaf while leaving the bottom intact. It'll look sort of like a plaid shirt. So I am about all the way done with one side. It's hard to talk and make these cuts perfect. <laughs> okay, now I'm gonna go ahead and do the other side, creating those little diamonds with these diagonal cuts. All right, all done. Okay, I just popped in my refrigerator and grabbed the Swiss cheese. So now we're gonna stuff thin slices of cheese into the openings that we just cut. So in order to do that, you're going to tear the slices of Swiss cheese into small pieces and slot a piece into every single crease. Like the most elaborate grilled cheese you'll ever eat. All right, we're done with that part. Now we're gonna go ahead and carefully lift the bread onto two pieces of aluminum foil. All right, make sure you're using two pieces of aluminum foil because I don't use a baking sheet. And my mom, a little tip, as she makes this recipe all the time, is to spray the piece of aluminum foil with a little bit of cooking spray. All right, and you want to lift on carefully because the bread has a million cuts in it. There we go. Now we're ready to make the butter mixture that we pour all over the bread. The first step here is to melt the butter. So you can either melt it in a small saucepan or you can microwave it. Either way, it's a lot easier to melt the butter if you cut it into smaller pieces first. So I'm going to do that right now. I'm going to move the bread out of the way. Now heat a pan onto low. All right, use my spatula to move that butter around. It's a lot of butter. And you just melt the butter standalone. You don't need to saute the mushrooms in it or anything like that. So like I said, there's no need to saute the mushrooms. Uh, if you're using a can of mushrooms like I recommended, they should be good to just drain 
and pour right into uh, into that butter mixture. But these look a little big, so I'm just gonna do a light chop. dump those into the butter and then we're going to pour our dry ingredients into the butter mixture as well. So that's the mustard powder, the poppy seeds, the seasoning salt, the minced onion. It already smells really incredible. All right and then the last step for the buttery mixture is just to cut a lemon. Then we're going to squeeze one tablespoon of lemon out. All right, stir it all together. So we are ready to, uh, to take the final step in assembling this bread. So the recipe tells you to pour the mixture over the bread, but I recommend spooning a little bit in between every single cut. And so this part is super messy uh, because inevitably, even if you're using a spoon, you are going to, uh, to make sure not to spill any of the butter mixture, not to waste any of it. And so your hands are going to get a little greasy. And then I go through great lengths to ensure that those mushrooms are pushed deep in between every cut. And just like we didn't neglect any cut with cheese, we make sure that we don't neglect any cut with this, uh, this butter mixture. So it'll, the bread will start to open up a little bit and look a little bit sloppy. Not too bad, but I assure you when you wrap it together and bake it, it's gonna look great. So the bread is assembled. There is a piece of cheese in between every single cut. Uh, this butter poppy seed mushroom mixture is spread throughout as well. And so we are gonna go ahead and tightly seal the bread up in foil. And then we're gonna put it on the top rack of the oven for 45 minutes at 350 and I'll be back to taste it. All right, it's been 45 minutes, so we are going to take it out of the oven, take the bread out of the oven. Go ahead and turn the timer off. All right. So it's pretty much ready to serve once you take it out. Be careful because the tin foil is hot. So it looks great. Uh, melted cheese everywhere, butter sort of pouring over, making the, <laughs> the loaf sort of glow and glisten. Uh, the mushrooms cook perfectly. It smells incredible. I'm gonna go ahead and cut a small piece. All right, give it a taste. Yeah, it's really good. Incredible, super hot, 
definitely burned my fingers on this, this scalding hot butter, but worth it. So worth it. Tastes exactly like it did growing up on all those special occasions, all those dinners in the dining room on our birthdays. I think it took me like 10 minutes to, to piece it all together. 45 minutes in the oven and then pulled it right out. Great. I made a full loaf of bread for just myself. I'll probably eat a third of it tonight. And the great thing about this bread, which, uh, you know, again, I have about three or four decades of experience with it, is that it's incredible the next day. So, uh, so I'll definitely have some leftovers tomorrow and maybe the day after that. So thanks for coming along with me. Uh, this was a lot of fun. Thank you so much for listening to My Family Recipe. If you've enjoyed this episode, please follow the show on your favorite podcast platform and share it with your family and friends. And don't forget to leave us a rating and review to let us know what you think of the delicious stories so far. Special thanks for this episode to Khalid El Khadib. You can find links to both of the essays we mentioned in the show notes, as well as the recipe for Khalid's cheesy mushroom bread. My Family Recipe is produced by Dylan Hoyer and Hannah Forden. Our Julia Child Foundation Fellow is Kelly Spivey, and our audio engineer for this episode is Armin Spenjan. Cora Lee is Food52 Podcast Network's producer. Our theme song is Vittoro by Aeronaut. This show is a collaboration between Food52 and Heritage Radio Network. There's so much more to read and listen to. Find even more stories at food52.com and heritageradionetwork.org.